up for you will be in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. This week, Wednesday night, is our first summer community group. And, uh, you know, in, in singing these songs and talking about these truths about God, uh, bringing ourselves before Him, I mean, all these things, you know, that shows up in different ways in our lives. Uh, there's, there is the church gathering on Sundays where saints all around the world are doing what we're doing. Um, and then there are other venues where these, these same things happen. Uh, we worship Him in different ways. We, uh, there's different kinds of revelation, different kinds of connections. And so uh, this is a worship service, but when our community groups meet in people's homes or here on Wednesday, it's also a worship service. It's just kind of different. And uh, we would love for every one of you to be a part of that this summer. Uh, our regular groups uh, are not meeting for the summer, and instead we bring everyone together here in the Fellowship Hall at Grace on Wednesday nights, starting this week. There's three weeks, and then we take a week off during the 4th of July, and then three more weeks. So there's six gatherings total. We have dinner for you, if that is helpful. There's childcare if that's helpful. Um, we will eat from, well, the food will be ready at 5, and it'll just kind of be there and ready. So just come whenever you want to. From 5 to 6 is sort of the eating hour. And then from 6 to 7.15, 7.30 is, is some teaching and discussion, that kind of stuff. If you can't get there till 6, I mean, the food will still be out. Just get a plate and you know, jump on in, that kind of thing. This summer, we're going to be exploring together a little bit of what, what it means to be the church and what it means to be our church as a, a local expression of this global presence that the church has around the world. Um, you know, we're, we're headed toward planting a church in Zachary as a mission church from us. Uh, so, you know, we started out as a mission from Parkview Baptist. We went to Parkview and said, hey, we really feel like God's doing something. We want to be able to go and start a new work in Baton Rouge. And they blessed it and put their hands to it and said, you go do your thing. Let us know how we can help. Uh, something similar is happening in Zachary where we feel like God has... Uh, has uh, just begun a process of that happening. And uh, so, long story short, over the course of the fall semester, with that, when that group was meeting together and starting to talk more about what it means to be the church, um, the staff and elders kept coming away with this sense of, of like, man, you know, like we really, the whole church needs to go through some of these same things again. Some of it as a reminder, some of it because when we started out 10 years ago, compared to where we are now, things are very different. And so, uh, believing that God is positioning us for some things down the road, uh, that this would be a good opportunity for us to, um, to be reminded of some things, to revisit some things about uh, what the church is, how the church is built and structured, how our church is built and structured, how we, how we make decisions, how we uh, interact with each other, why we do some of the things the way that we do it, which in some ways is very consistent with other churches in other ways, it's kind of peculiar at times. And so we're just going to kind of go back to the drawing board and kind of pull in some of those elements that we did with the Zachary Church Plant, pull in some elements from the membership class, which some of you haven't done for a decade, and uh, just kind of make sure, like, hey, b- before God takes us into what's next for us, let's, let's make sure that we are unified on some things. So that'll be starting this Wednesday 
5 p.m. food time, 6 p.m. teaching time in the fellowship hall. Everybody can come. You don't have to sign up or anything like that. Uh, If you would like to be a part of prepping the meals, we can always use help with that, whether it's you and some friends or community group want to take a Wednesday completely, and we just, like, we buy all the food and you prep it. Or if you just want to just help in any kind of way, just email staff at livinghopebr.com, and we'll get that done. Uh, So we've been going through the book of Mark. Over the last couple of months, little by little, and um, we find ourselves in chapter two, where uh, it's one of the like one of the things about Jesus that you often hear. And have you ever been at a point in your life where you where you kind of like didn't really know what your function was? You know, like you're um, like you kind of come out of a season where you knew exactly what you were doing and why you were doing it, and then you kind of went to this like transitionary time. Uh, I remember. After college, uh, like I student taught, graduated, and like a week later drove to Panama City Beach, which is not a great, not for why you think. Uh, I went to work at a Christian camp there, and so um, I went to to work for Centrifuge in Panama City Beach with a group of with all the the band that used to be the Ring Band. We were like the we were like this experimental worship band that Centrifuge was trying out, and so uh, we spent a whole summer uh, in Panama City doing camp, leading worship, teaching Bible studies, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I went from like, you know, it's like elementary school, middle school, high school, college. And the only like iffy time for that stuff is in the summers. And those are all, are always fun, right? Graduate, go right into camp mode. And if you've ever worked camp or been in any sort of situation like that, uh, they do everything for you. It's like, okay, we're going to pay you to do this all summer. And so we're going to pay you to spend time with Jesus in the morning. We're going to pay you to um, to do these certain tasks each day, and so as a camp staffer, I knew exactly what uh, I knew what my Sunday middle of the day through Friday middle of the day was going to look like. There was no doubt about it. It was the same thing for ten weeks. Uh, I knew that seven to eight hundred people were going to come on this campus, and we were to do these things on these days, these worship services, these crazy you know games and all this kind of stuff. It got to where you knew exactly what to expect. Friday, you wave goodbye to them and let them go away. And then you had 48 hours to wash all your clothes and take a lot of naps and lay on the beach. And so I had a, a great purpose at that point in time. And, um, but there was no, I didn't have to really figure anything out. Once I figured out camp, I was like, okay, I know exactly what I'm here to do. My purpose is very clear. I'm supposed to lead worship, teach Bible studies, encourage youth ministers, be there for, like, be a part of this moving mechanism thing. And then I uh, just enjoy the fact that I get to live at the beach and get paid for it for three months. And um, when I came back from that, I uh, had no idea what I was going to do. And some of you have been there after, after college. And so I, uh, I didn't have anywhere to live, so I moved back home. I didn't have a job, so I became a substitute teacher. I w- knew I wanted to go to seminary, but I just never got my stuff together and sent it in. So I didn't have a plan for that. Uh, all my friends were either starting jobs or starting grad school or they had moved away uh, in terms of like my peers. So I had all these younger friends, but they were all in college. And so I was kind of in this like kind of in the middle time and um, I didn't know what to do. And uh, so eventually I got a job and that was really great because then I had this sense of purpose again. Um, but then I changed that job and went to another job and then I kind of lost it and I kept having to adjust. And one thing I've noticed is that these periods of our lives where we're transitioning when, you've, when you come out of something that was very structured and normal and you go into something where, where you go into a season where that has been taken away, it's easy to be aimless. And so you don't know what to do with, with your time. 
And I see that with, with graduates from school. You see it with, um, you see it with adults who, um, like adults who are either, uh, they had a job and they lost that job or they quit that job and they're kind of like, I don't know what to do next. You see it with parents. Like when you have like a newborn, you know exactly what's going on. They get a little bit older and then they get a little more independent. You're like, uh, my baby doesn't need me anymore. I don't really understand. And, you know, moms are crying over that and dads are like, yes, he can dress himself, you know, and uh, those kinds of things. And as your kids get older, parents, like you, you kind of get to where you're, you figure it out and then the kid changes. So you have to change and it keeps happening. And then, then they graduate from high school and they leave you and you're like, what do I do now? I don't know what my purpose is now. And. Um, you see it in those kinds of transitions. You see it, you see it in people, people who are in the military, and they, they know exactly what their purpose is because they have been told that, you know, and then they, either their time is up or they return from overseas, and a part of the difficulty in the transition is you're like, I'm not sure what to do next. I don't really know what's going on. Um, you, see, you see it when people, when their kids, their youngest child leaves the house, and mom and dad look at each other, and they're like, I don't, what, what do we do? What do we do now, you know? Um, you see it when, when people retire, when they, when they clock out for that last time, and they're like, I'm not sure what to do next. And what that tells us is that when, when you know what your purpose is, when you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing, uh, you work backwards from that, that purpose that's out in front of you. You're like, okay, I know this is, this is my job, this is my goal, this is my function, this is why I'm here. And so then you step back into the moment, and you know how to order that moment. When I worked camp, they were like, this is your job. This is what you're here to do. This is what your weeks look, about, look like. So Sunday afternoon, I started getting ready because the vans are going to start showing up. you know. And that's how our lives work. And there are times when we're in those transitions, when that stated purpose has been taken away and nothing has replaced it yet, and we're kind of aimless. And it's kind of a bummer. you know. And while we go through those different seasons as people, as Christians, there is this... Uh, this Amazing task in front of us, where Jesus says, hey, I want you to be a part of my life, and I want you to become like me through this, re- this relationship. And I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you this, uh, this book that you can study, and you're going to see all these examples of me showing you what to do. I'm just going to show you what your life needs to look like. I'm going I'm to show you exactly what that purpose is that's out in front of you. So then when you, you work your way, when you start where you are now, you kind of step back and you're like, okay, I see what the end looks like. I see what the goal is. And so I know what to do today. And so there's kind of these parallel roads. There's like our, there's like our journey just as, as people, you know, in the different relationships, different stages of life. But then the parallel road to that is this one steady trajectory of life. You might not know what your stated goal is, what the, what the purpose is all the time as a as a spouse, as a parent, as a friend, as an employee, as an employer, as a whatever. But Jesus shows us, like, hey, it doesn't really matter what season of life you're in. There is this stated purpose out in front of us. And if you know what that goal is, then you work backwards. And so that's what I want to do with this story uh, tonight, is I want us to I want to read this story, but then we're going to start at the end and look at what the goal is, and then kind of work our way back through it. So, long way to get to here. Sorry. Verse 13, chapter 2. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting uh, at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. 
And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. So what is, what is, this, what is the purpose? What's the, what's the, the mission? What's the, uh, what's the goal that's out in front of Jesus that he's working toward? Well, it's stated different ways throughout, throughout his ministry. And here's one that maybe he said more than once, you know. Uh, verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So what's, what's out in front of him? Uh, to take the sick and to make them well. That's the goal. That's what's out in front of him. There isn't a, a, a question about it. It doesn't morph and change. It can be stated in different ways and different analogies, but he's like, okay, I'm going I'm to go with physician this time uh, because I've been healing a lot of people. Who needs a doctor? This, the, the healthy people, there's nothing wrong with them physically, or the ones who are sick, the ones who are struggling, the ones who are, are, are dying. Well, it's obviously, I mean, how many of you just go to the doctor because it's awesome, you know? No, of course not. Nothing against any doctors we might have. No, you go to the doctor when you're sick, and they don't want well people coming to them, you know? That t- eats up their time. They may make a little bit of money off of it, but really they're like, no, we really need to deal with the sick people because there's a lot of sick people. So Jesus knows exactly what he's here to do, um, to get the sick and to make them well. So what he says, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so what does he, what does he mean by sinners? Well, really, he's talking about people who are in need of his grace. It's not, uh, it's not so much like a, it's not an, an, like a shot at their identity, like Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do what we do. You know, we tend to we tend to label people based on their behaviors and stuff. You know, oh that guy's a like he's just a whatever. He he is a liar. He's selfish. He's a loser. He you know he's a this. He's a whatever. And those are identity. Like those are like speaking to their identity. And so what I would say is like, well, no, he's he's not selfish. He's acting selfishly. Those are, those are different. But the root of that is he is a sinner, and a part of how his, his sin, like his surfacing, is in selfishness. Uh, we are broken people. We all bring our own brokenness to the table. And so it's not an identity thing as much as it is like showing us, like, hey, you're, you're not healthy. Like, I came for those of you who are not healthy, uh, like who are spiritually broken and sick, those who are in need of a, like a divine physician who can look at you and not only say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but can also say, your sins are forgiven. And so uh, like this is an all-inclusive statement for us. He's not saying, like, oh, yeah, well, I came for the people who are really messed up. I came, I came for the people who do these things. He's like, no, I came for the broken. And guess who's broken? Every one of you are broken. And so who is in need of a physician? Every one of us. 
We'll see in this story, there's these different groups of people that are present, and they're all kind of judgy of one another. And what Jesus, in part, is doing in his ministry is he's like, hey, um, the, the, the playing field is very, very level. You guys have created all these different kind of things, and I'm just here to tell you that, that my blood is the only thing that, that every single one of you needs, and it is more than enough. You know? And so when he talks about sinners, we don't need to... We don't need to buy into this lie that we can section off different kinds of people based on different behaviors and, and kind of have this ranking chart of what's worse than something else and all that. that. We need to have this idea that Jesus is saying, hey, everybody in this room has a temperature. You know, Everybody in this room uh, is lined up sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office. Jesus is like, I, said, I came at just the right time. And the, and the waiting room is packed. There's people all outside the door, and everyone's waiting to see the doctor. And so we are, in, we are a part of this story. And he says, this is exactly who I came for. The religious leaders, they were kind of like, you know, oh, well, what about these people and these people and these people? And they were always trying to, to, to separate themselves from others because they kept the rules and all that stuff. And Jesus is just not very impressed with that at all. And so he came for this one reason. And so he, uh, he deeply understood his mission. And that's why we see his life looking the way that it looks. Like he, he's like, okay, this is what's out in front of me. Therefore, I know how to order my day. And in those times for us and transition in life or, or, or maybe there's times where like it's, you're not even in a transition. You know exactly what's in front of you. You just maybe kind of gotten distracted from it or whatever. Uh, we look at Jesus and we're like, man, I'm so glad he never, he, he didn't get distracted. You know, he didn't forget. He didn't, uh, he didn't go through these transitionary times where he's like, um, I might kind of ignore the sick around me right now because I got other stuff to do. That stayed out in front of him. And so when we see scenes like this play out, you know, the, we have to understand that his actions, um, as calculated as they were, he was working toward the end goal. Which was, it was dying on the cross, yes, but it was also showing us what the kingdom of God looks like and inviting us into his life. And so these, these scribes and these Pharisees and stuff, they didn't, they didn't understand. You know, he wasn't like any of these other teachers. He wasn't like the other rabbis. He, he didn't fit the mold. It's because he was looking at a purpose that was different than the purpose they were looking at. Their purpose, they were trying to keep the rules, trying to keep themselves above everyone else. They were all about protecting this religious institution. And, uh, you know, if, if we needed more rules, let's make more rules. And let's, like, pat ourselves on the back for being so pious. And let's, let's keep everyone else on the outskirts. And so the purpose they were looking at was so different than Jesus. They didn't even understand. They couldn't even talk to him. They were just so, like, bewildered by this man who would do these things that to us don't... It might not seem that crazy, but at the time... It was absolutely just bonkers to think that he would do this. Like they were completely troubled by it. So, what's out in front of Jesus? The sick being made well. He came for the sinners, not the righteous, which there are none <laughs> apart from him. And so, who's in front of him? Well, you're in front of him. I'm in front of him. Every person on the planet that's ever lived is in front of him. It's like, okay, I came to make you well. So if we start off with like knowing that that's the goal in verse 17, let's back up in the story. And now, we'll, now maybe we can understand why he does the bizarre things that he does uh, throughout his life. So go back to verse 13. 
you went out again uh, beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Okay, so let's hit pause right there. So Levi is, uh, there's some like, you know, discrepancy and people you know, kind of get uh, opinionated about things like this whenever you have the four Gospels and you're comparing them to each other. But the likelihood is that we're talking about Matthew, um, like Matthew, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Matthew. His name was probably Matthew Levi, um, and that we're talking about the origins of one of the gospel like compilers and writers. And so there he is. He's at the tax booth. So what's a tax booth? Well, um, like Capernaum and Galilee, that region was a crossroads for for um, kind of going into different like going into territory that was governed by different people at that time. And, uh, of course, just like in our world, you have to pay taxes to do that. You have to pay a fee, uh, those kinds of things. And so when you would cross from one region into another, they would collect a tax. And when you cross back, they would collect a tax. And so they had these stations you had to stop at, just like, just like we do. If you ever went on the Mexico mission trip with us you know, years ago, when you're dry, you, know, you drive all the way, you get to the border. And when you dr- go from the U.S. into Mexico, they're just like, come on in, man. You know, high fives. Glad you're here. Uh, and that little border area for a while, like there, you don't have to show a lot of paperwork, that kind of stuff. They kind of, they want to see, like, let me see your driver's license and stuff. But they're all about us coming there in that first little way. But then you go maybe 30, 50 miles in, and there's this checkpoint. And uh, you have to go in, like, you, it's like this big, like, I mean, there's guns and there's tanks and there's all this kind of stuff there. Not really tanks, but uh, there's all this stuff there that's intimidating. And, um, you have to go in and you have to like register your vehicles and uh, everyone has to submit all their paperwork and all this kind of stuff. And you have to pay this money to be able to get this, like the right stamp and everything to be able to cross in. Um, so they kind of create this little zone where it's easy to come in and spend money. But then if you want to really go into the country, you have to go through all this stuff. Uh, that's kind of how, Gal- like how Capernaum was in the Galilee region is that you had to stop and you had to pay money. And the tax collectors were, um, they were... They were considered cheats, and they were considered traitors, like both. So they would cheat people because they would, you know, if the government was saying, all right, it's going to be five bucks per person to come through here, they would be like, okay, that'll be $10. And they'd pocket five and pass on five. That's what they were known for. That's why they were all wealthy and, you know, that kind of stuff. So they were cheating their own people, and they were working for the foreign government, or like, or not the foreign government, like the, the government, who was uh, like a foreign sense. So basically they weren't working for um, the king of Judah. They were working for uh, different, either Roman or you know, different, that kind of stuff. So here, here's my point. Um, probably two jobs that none of us would want, and I apologize if you do any of these things. One would be to work for the IRS, and be the, but, not, but not like work at like the big office, like the person who comes and sits in a living room with the family and is like, okay, I'm going to audit you and like, or I'm going to sit down with your business and like, try to take you down, that kind of thing. You know? like, we would see that person and I'd be like, come on, man. Like, we're, come on. Like, we're, come on. You know? Why are you doing this? Why are you working for the government? Why are you trying to take me down? You know? Because we, as U.S. citizens, 
essentially are kind of opposed to, to, to the government when it comes to money. You know, like we like all we like all the stuff that they can do for us and we get mad when they don't do stuff for us. But like we don't really like paying for it, you know, especially when they come in and they're going to like go through all your files and just basically try to destroy your life. You would not really enjoy being that person or having that person come to you. And, uh, and so I think, I think that that would be a job we wouldn't want. I think a similar job would be if you were working in the parking division at, like, the LSU Police Department. Or if you drove for Roadrunner Towing. Um, because at LSU, uh, the last thing you would want to do is be one of the police officers who's walking around writing tickets to college students and calling the tow truck guy and Roadrunner Towing coming. Like, those guys, they carry guns for a reason because people get super mad when you tow their cars away. You would not want to have those jobs. You know, those, are, those are not folks that we are like, yes, you're my ally. You're, like, you're in this with me. You're like, no, you're out to take my money. You're out to ruin my life. That's how tax collectors were. They, they cheated people and they were betraying their own in a way that, that they were lumped in with every other kind of despicable behavior you could think of. Now, these were educated people. They could, they, uh, like, uh, oftentimes they were the ones who could read and write because it allowed them to, to keep records and all that kind of stuff, and that was kind of rare in this time. This was not the kind of person in that day who a rabbi would say, you know who I really want on my, like, squad? That guy, you know? Like, no, if he's assembling his dream team, he's not going after the fishermen. But the fishermen, you can be like, okay, well, they're, you know, I don't know. They're at least brave, you know, that kind of stuff. But tax collectors, like, they're the worst. No one would do this. No rabbi would say, hey, why don't you come and follow me? And the fact that, that, that Matthew or Levi, that he so quickly walks away from it. I mean, he's walking away from wealth. He's walking away from a very secure future. He is, uh, he's walking away from that kind of life, but also into a life where everyone already hates him just because of what he does. So chances are he had seen Jesus. You know, he's like, oh man, I've heard about this guy. Or maybe he saw some of the miracles. Maybe he was there when, the, when they tore the roof off of the, of the house and dropped the guy in. Maybe, maybe he was there, you know, looking at a distance in the synagogue when, when Jesus cast demons out of people. And maybe he had heard him and heard him and stuff, but he was like, yeah, but... There's no way that with what I have done that I would be good enough, that I would be welcomed. And yet here Jesus, walking along, sees him like you. Come, come follow me. That Jesus welcomed into his life people who had been pushed to the side we tend to think of uh, people with leprosy, you know, in terms of like, well, who was marginalized? I mean, they, were, they literally had to form their own little colony outside of everywhere else. But we understand, you know, that it's like, okay, well, there, that was a disease and that kind of stuff. And you, and you pity them, you know. This was someone who chose a lifestyle of corruption and betrayal. And Jesus says, no, I, I want you to be part of my life. Like, I want you to... To follow me. The call to following him was, was not just. Uh, he was saying I want you to walk around with me. And to live life in my shadow. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want you to become like me. I want to be your rabbi. 
the same extension that was offered to you and to me was offered to this person who nowhere else, I mean, no one else would want this guy. And so Levi jumps up and he follows him. So the big idea is that Jesus welcomes sinners into his life. He doesn't care what he was doing. He doesn't care about his background. He doesn't, doesn't care about the corruption. He doesn't care about the, him being a, a traitor. He doesn't care what other people think about him. He doesn't. He's just not hung up on the things that you and I can easily get hung up on. I'm not saying that you are. I'm saying, but it's easy for us to kind of get distracted by that. Because Jesus was like, hey, here's someone who is sick that needs me as a physician. Hey, sick person, come to me. Hey, sinner, come to me. Hey, person in need of my grace, come to me. Because he had that purpose out in front of him. He knew exactly what was going on. He's just walking along. So then it kind of transitions. Then we have this scene where there's a group of people in a living room. Verse 15. As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Okay, so... uh, when, when you read that verse, like if you were just to read that verse and it says, and, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When I read that, I'm like, oh, so they were at Jesus' house. You know, last week, we read about Jesus was like where he lived and that everyone was trying to get to him and they tore the hole in the roof to lower the guy down on the mat. So I read this and I'm like, man, Jesus has like all these tax collectors and sinners into his home. And so I ran with that. I was like, oh my gosh, that's just this amazing image. And then yesterday afternoon, I was just, just starting to read some other things, and I was like, oh wait, other translations say that this was Levi's house. Like this was Matthew's house. That, that Matthew, as a tax collector, was probably friends with other tax collectors because they had all been pushed to the side, so they you know, kind of grouped together. Um, so that Matthew was like, hey, you know, me and my other, my other buddies are hanging out tonight. How about you come and you bring your buddies? Let's, like, if you welcome me, then um, well, I want to welcome you in, re- in return. And so maybe he wanted his sick friends to also meet the physician. Um, and then, so I read a bunch of commentaries that say, yeah, this is definitely Levi's house. And I read some other ones uh, that were like, no, this is definitely Jesus' house. And I was like, no one knows whose house this is. I need to know whose house this is. But it doesn't matter, really. I mean, the images are different, and I think they speak different things to us. If Jesus was like, yeah, I want to fill my home with people who are sick, or if he's like, hey, I want to go to the home of a bunch of sick people, whatever, uh, the spirit of it is the same, even if the details are different, that Jesus is all about sinners. And sometimes we get, you know, people use this, or like, oh, Jesus was here, man. Where would Jesus be? He'd be at the bars, brother. Somebody told me that one time. That was my impression of that person. And, and sure, I mean, like, I understand what people are saying. Like Jesus was drawn to the marginalized, you know, but I don't think he would be at the bars. I think he would be at the homes of people who like to frequent those bars. You know what I mean? Like, I think he would be, like, either in their homes or maybe he would be, like, in the, uh, in the emergency room, like the waiting area of the emergency room. Um, maybe he would be at a, like at an addiction recovery meeting, you know, 
Like maybe he would be not so much, I mean, he wasn't hanging out with the tax collectors at the tax booth, you know, like, hey, you need some help counting the money? Like he wasn't doing that. He was in their homes, and at that time, being in their homes was, it was the most uh, like intimate that you could get with people uh, in terms of like friendship and connection. Like to, to be in the home, like to be reclining at table is what it says. And so you have this, you have this like table and, uh, and it's, it would be kind of like, it's not like us where we would, we would like sit up to the table in a chair. They were on the, they'd be on the ground and their feet were dirty and stuff. And so they, but they had like almost like pillows around the outside of the table and they would lean, they would lean towards their feet would be kind of behind them and they're just leaned in. And they're eating and drinking. I mean, the, the, word, the wording there implies like a feast. Like this was not just like, hey, we, you know, we, we order some you know, Papa John's and it'll be fine. Like this was like, no, I'm having a legitimate gathering of people. And the way that, that you would do that is you would only have like your family there. And if anyone was there that wasn't family, it was like a stranger that you wanted to treat like family. And it would imply, like, hey, I want to know you. I want you to be known by me. I, I, want, I want you to know that I accept you. And I want to honor you. And I want us to know each other. And I want there to be a relationship. So Jesus is in that situation here. Whether it was at his house or at Levi's house. Jesus is in a situation where he's looking at these people who the religious had pushed to the side and labeled them as tax collectors and sinners. The cheats, the, uh, the, the, the traitors, those who didn't keep the law, those who intentionally went against the things of God, those who had probably been told that you're not good enough, that you'll never be good enough. This rabbi says, hey, I want to hang out with you, but not out, I don't want to like, be out there. You know, I don't want to wave to you from far away. I want to be in a living room with you. At a feast, because I want us to honor each other. I want us to know each other. I want you to know that I accept who you, who you are. I mean, I don't accept your behavior, but that's not who you are. That's just how you're acting. I want us to know each other. Now, this this image, like this, is one. This is maybe one of the more challenging things that we're going to come across in the Book of Mark. Jesus welcomes sinners, welcomes those who need his grace into his life to this degree. I started thinking about it. I was like, man, what if, what if, we, did, what if, like, what if we did this uh, with great intentionality? Now, I don't want to say, please don't hear me implying that this, is, this never happens or is not happening. I know that it's happening, but like, what if... What if this was like a really, like across the board, all Christians were like, you know what, um, we need to be having people into our homes who, who don't know the grace of Jesus. Like we need to either, or, or maybe we need to be in their homes. Yeah, I don't know. We either need to be bringing them to Jesus or bringing Jesus to them, but however, however that needs to look. Like, what if this became a really, like, one of those, like, literal things. Like, Jesus literally did this, so I'm going to literally do this. I was like, man, if every Christian that we know 
made it a priority to connect with people who just, who just don't know His grace to the, to the extent of, of, like of this. Of like, hey, I want to I know you. I want you to know that I, like, I want us to be connected to each other. Greater, more than that, though, I want you to be connected to Him. Like, I know, I know the physician. We cannot, we can't hang out with other Christians 99% of the time and claim to be living the abundant life that imitates our rabbi. We can't. I'm not pointing the finger, okay? I'm not, you know, I'm just like, I'm saying, that's, what's in, that's what we see. That he's showing us, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. I love, I love Christian fellowship. I'm all for it. But if I'm not careful, this is Josh speaking for Josh. If I'm not careful, it can be 100% only other believers I'm interacting with day to day, week to week, month to month. And during one of those transitionary periods of, of my life when I wasn't sure, uh, like I wasn't sure what to do next. And like I said, I got a job and I became a teacher and uh, it was awesome. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I loved it. I look back on it as one of the best seasons of my whole life. And when I stopped teaching and I went to work at Parkview as the college person full-time and started seminary, uh, several months into it, I was, so, I was just kind of bummed. You know? I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but this is not what I thought it was going to be. Like, I love the ring. I, I love those kind of things, but it just, it was just, there's like an emptiness that was there. And one day it dawned on me. I was like, man, when I was a teacher, I knew exactly what was in front of me every single day. And I loved going home at the end of every day without any doubt in my mind that I made a difference. And I thought that going to work at a church, you'd be like, just like tripling that. But no, it went the other way. I was like, man, all I did today was like send emails and like plan things. I didn't talk to, any, I didn't talk to any, anyone today uh, who, who doesn't already know who Jesus is. And there are some days when that's very important, but I got to where it was such a, like, I didn't realize how much interaction with people I had before that. And, and I would have thought working in a church would be like, it'd be money, but it wasn't. So I got to where I had to pursue it, and that's been the case ever, single, ever since. But if I'm not careful, all of my table fellowship, like, I don't mean like literally eating meals. I mean like the depth of like, I want to know you, and I want you to know me. I want Like that personal connection, if I'm not careful, it can just be with other believers. And that is not the way that Jesus lived. He spent a lot of time with his disciples. He spent a lot of time with three of them more than the other nine. He spent a lot of time with one more than the other three. I care all about those connections. But then we see this stuff happening. And it probably happened a lot. We, we ha- I mean, we have to do this. We have to. Like, that's what is in front of us. That's the, like, that's, that's the purpose. That's the goal. That's why we're here. And so for me, there are so many times when I lose sight of that. And that's why I love the fact that our rabbi is like, no, I, you want to know why I called Levi? You want to know why I had like deep connection time with this room full of tax collectors and sinners? You want to know why I brought my disciples into that room? I mean, it's all of them. It's, it's all his disciples and all these tax collectors and sinners. And they're all in this room and they're all having this fellowship together. You know why? Because Jesus is like, this is what the kingdom looks like. Because he knew what was in front of him. He knew what the goal was. He didn't have to question it. And so when you know, what the, you know what the goal is, you can work backwards from there. That's how you order your time. That's why he did the things that he did. That's why we see his life looking this way. 
So sometimes when we look at him, we're like, man, he was so great, wasn't he? Gosh, he was so great. Yeah, I mean, he was great, but not just because he was great. He had a purpose. He knew what his days were for. And so whether he invited them or, or they invited him, he said yes because that is who he is. And that's who, is, that's who we're becoming. So the religious folk, they didn't like that very much. Verse 16, the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he asked them, why does he, like, why does he do this? Isn't he worried about getting uh, their germs on him? You know, like, isn't he worried about like, in, being infected by their sin and their decisions and those kinds of people? You know, have you ever heard that? There, there are a lot of Christian people, a lot of religious people that kind of have that attitude of like, well, I don't know about those kinds of people. And they're so bewildered and they're like, why does he do it? Like, they're asking his disciples, why does he... Why would he do this? Who's it? What's going on? Jesus speaks up and he's like, well, this is exactly why. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the, the righteous. Not the righteous, but sinners. And see, this, like, this, is, this is like a personal thing. Like This is what's out in front of you as a follower. If you are a, like, if you are a part of a family, that's what's out in front of your family as well. Your community group, that's what's out in front of your community group. All of us pressed together as a church, that's what's out in front of us as a church. All the churches in town, I mean, it's, that's what's out in front of all of us. So, if we ever get a building of our own, it has to be a place where that's like out in front of us. Like, if God's going to give us a building, it's because He wants people to go to heaven. <laughs> that's why. And what building we... we want or don't want, how we renovate it, how we build it, whatever, will have to be determined by that purpose out in front of us. As we work backwards from there. If we look at a building and it's like, man, it meets our needs, but it doesn't give us a chance to meet other people's needs, then that, you know, that's, that has to be in front of us. But it has to be in front of your family as well. Like That's the goal of your family. And so that determines, that, that determines like a lot of your, what your relationships look like. You think about like who you're, like those of you with kids, man, they're like, that's a perfect connection. Your kids go to school with other, with other families, they're on ball teams and all that kind of stuff. You're constantly meeting all these people and it would be so easy to just put your head down, get, just do your thing instead of being like, oh man, there's people here who need him. Like I need to connect with them in those kinds of ways. Where you live, who you work with, I mean, there's all these relationships that God has given us and that's what has to be out in front of us. So if that's what is already out in front of you, then take this as encouragement. Like, awesome, keep, keep, that, keep that purpose in mind, just like your rabbi. If you've forgotten it, you know, if you just need to be reminded, like, hey, this is, this is who we are, this is who he is, this is what we're doing, then let, let him place it in front of you. Let him, let him give you this beautiful picture of what is ahead. In our church, that's a part of what Wednesday nights are going to be about, is like looking, hey, let's, let's remind ourselves of what we're doing while we're here, how we're, like how we're going to go about like getting people to Jesus, either carrying them to Jesus or bringing Jesus to them, it's all about getting to Him, no matter what. And then maybe you're sitting here and you're like, "Man, that's like I I am the ta- I'm the tax collector, you know? Like I I got my list of reasons why I should be why I feel like I should be rejected by the church, by religious people." By, uh, I mean, you name it. And here, like, 
see what Jesus is doing and let him be the one who sets the standard. He's the one that says, come on. Like, it's his invitation. We're going to take communion in a second, and it's, it's him offering himself to us. Chase is going to be serving it, but really it's Jesus saying, hey, this is my body and my blood. It's my kingdom. I'm the one who decides who gets in, and I want you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. None of that, none of that stuff. It's all irrelevant. I, I just want you. I want to be reclining at table with you. And you, I mean, jump in line. If you want what he has to offer, then take it. So wherever this lands with you, I, don't, I mean, that's between you and him. I'm sorry if this was a little bit heavier or longer, longer than you anticipated, but that's, uh, it's these kinds of things in the gospel that when you, when you go through it little by little, you're like, man, he, that's what he did. We need to do that. Like It's just that simple. Uh, so however it fits into your life, I hope that you'll steward it well, and I hope that you'll pray for me to steward it well uh, in addition, because I don't, I'm not looking at this and being like, oh, yeah, I got this one down. Uh, it can be a battle. Let's stand together. Let's take just a second to think about um, to think about that vision that he's put out in front of us. To think about the the sick who need a physician, and how Jesus uh, he knew his purpose, like he knew. Um, yeah, let's, let's think about that, and let's think about how he's really put the same vision out in front of us. Maybe just take a minute and ask, just ask him for help in, uh, in fine-tuning that and focusing in on what that means for you. Lord, we, um, we're so thankful that you, I mean, thankful is such a, that word doesn't really cover it all, but I mean, to be the ones who you came for, to be the sick in need of a physician, to be the sinners, um, who are broken and can't heal themselves, uh, to be on the receiving end of what you offer is uh, just such a gift. We thank you, Father, uh, for those in this room who have said yes to you as our healer and our restorer. We are grateful. We're thankful that you put that same mission in front of us that was set in front of you and that we get to join you and be a part of it. And so as we approach your table, as we pray, as we sing, whatever those responses look like. God, help us to dial into that deeply. And for those who are in need of the grace that you offer us because of past issues, present issues, sins that we feel like have disqualified us, would you help us to approach your table, your body, your blood? Um, Would you help us to approach you humbly, but but with an eagerness and a deep belief in who you are and what you're doing among us. So we ask that you use this to meet us where we are, to prepare us to go back out. But may these few minutes together help us to focus and respond to your goodness. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, the table is open. You can come when you want. You can you kneel and pray. Uh, you can just sing, but if you want what Jesus has to offer, uh, step uh, step to the table whenever you're ready.